great to have you in church. Welcome to Equipers Church. If this is your first time here, first time for the year, we're glad you came this morning. We're here in the town hall lifting up the name of Jesus, and yeah, we're loud and we're proud. I love the fact that uh, we serve a risen Lord, not somebody who's dead, not somebody who's in a grave, but risen. So many people go, well, why do you shout all the time? Why do you yell? Uh, Jesus, he didn't shout. Well, in my Bible, it says he didn't. In John chapter 7, it says Jesus cried out. And he didn't shout all the time, though. But one thing is, everybody who was touched by Jesus, you know, went around leaping and praising God. And I believe when God's touched your life, uh, you can't be quiet about it. You can't remain still. You've got to get ex- give expression to what's happening on the inside. Amen. Do I get an amen on that one? Amen. Amen. Let's go in, uh, to our Bibles. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And we're going to be reading from verse 6 in our series called Inside Out. How many are part of the best e-group? Best e-group? I uh, know. Uh, many have kicked off, started for the year. I had my first e-group for the year, and it was incredible. Man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in those small gatherings. Uh, God's here in bigger gatherings, but how many are He's present also in smaller gatherings? And I believe God's going to move and do incredible things. Well, we're doing this series on Sunday and in our e-groups. So if you're not part of the e-group, I really challenge you to, to for four weeks, get in a group, and, uh, and let's follow this series in its entirety on Sunday here in big church, but also in uh, small church and in our e-groups in our homes. So if we can do that, you're going to get the most out of it. Let's go. Luke 13, verse 6, it says, Then he told this parable. He told this parable. Jesus often spoke in parables to illustrate kingdom truth. So he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, And he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. Don't you hate that? He did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Not a fig. So he said, cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. Everyone say one more year. (laughs) Leave it alone for one more year and dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Well, the title of my message this morning was speaking about discipline, uh, but the title of my message isn't discipline because that's not sexy. Uh, that's not appealing to a whole lot of people, man. It's like, oh, discipline. Who wants to hear a message about discipline? Uh, the title of my message this morning is, It Takes Time. It Takes Time. Turn to your neighbor and say, It Takes Time. It Takes Time. It Takes Time. It Takes Time. What takes time? Oh, everything takes time. You know, within this place, I, I guarantee everybody here has a desire to grow. Uh, and not to remain the same. They have a desire to progress. 
Now, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, that's what we all want. We all want to move forward. We don't want to go backwards. We don't want to stay where we are. We want to progress. We want to move forward. There's nothing worse than having the wheels spinning, expending a whole lot of energy and going nowhere. How many know that's called frustration? Right there, where you've got everything spinning, everything in motion, you're expending energy, but you're going nowhere. Yeah, parents with young kids know what I'm talking about when it comes to cleaning the house. You know, it's like you clean the house, and then within one hour or less, it's back in the state it was before you cleaned it. How many know that is frustrating? You even can get to a point where you go, why bother? I'll just leave it a mess because it's gonna go back there in a short amount of time. Now, all of us have this frustration within us when things aren't fruitful, when they aren't moving forward, when we aren't progressing. And in this parable, the owner of the fig tree, he expected fruit from his tree. But get this, there was no fruit for three years, three years in a row. No fruit. How many know that's a long time? Three years. That's the time it takes to do a degree. No fruit. Imagine studying for three years and not seeing any benefits from that study. That takes, it takes three years to do an apprenticeship. You know, for three years, see nothing. Man, how, how many would want to give up after six months after seeing no fruit? Yeah, that's the reality. In fact, some of us, after one month, we'd be checking in the towel saying, I'm out of here. I haven't seen anything. There's no benefit to this. Why am I doing this? Why am I involved in this? But how many know it takes time? It it takes time. Now, the, the owner was obviously disappointed. In fact, he wasn't just disappointed. He was furious. He was saying, cut it down. Cut this tree down. How often do we do that when we examine our failures? or our fruitlessness, and we think, oh, in, in light of reality, we think, oh, let's just cut this down. Uh, we look at ourselves, the tree, yes, you are the tree this morning, and, and we look at ourselves and we expect things to come from it. We, we expect that we should be able to keep our marriages together. Uh, or we expect that we should raise perfect kids. My kids are perfect. I mean, no, that's a lie. But we expect our kids to be perfect. Uh, We expect to be a fine physical specimen. Uh, We just expect that to be our reality. Uh, We expect to produce at work. We expect to provide. But what happens when your expectation doesn't match your experience? Uh, What happens when you expect all these things and you don't see them become a reality in your life? Uh, What happens is disappointment and frustration sets in. And and we can be like the owner of the tree in this parable and we go, cut it down. Uh, The problem is you are the tree. You are the tree. And, and when it comes to this whole subject of discipline, we beat ourselves up a lot, if we're to be honest. Uh, we cut ourselves down. I, I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm lazy. 
uh, um, ill-disciplined. And we, come, and, and we think, I should be able to do that. I, I shouldn't get so angry, but we keep getting angry. And we have these expectations and we cut ourselves down and we say, oh, well, I should. I just should be able to get close to people. I, I should be able to accomplish more. I should be able to, like so-and-so, man, they can do it. How come? And, and we beat ourselves up and we cut ourselves down. How many know a house divided against itself cannot stand? And like the tree owner, we want growth, but we judge ourselves quickly and harshly without taking the time to figure out what the true problem is, what the real problem is. How many want to find what the real problem is? How many want to be more disciplined this year? Come on, how many want to physically be more disciplined this year? Yeah, lift up your hand if you want to be physically more disciplined. How many want to be financially more disciplined this year? Financially, lift up your hand. 80% of you lifting up your hand financially. How many want to be spiritually more disciplined this year? Spiritually more disciplined. Oh, that's a great response right there. See, see often in life we operate from a place of truth or grace. We operate from a place of truth or grace. See, when it comes to discipline, our problem is we either look at it from a place of truth, cut it down. It's useless. I'm useless. Or a place of grace, it doesn't matter. It was the best I could do. I just couldn't help myself. I needed that. I needed that. And in the end, what we have is a whole lot of dead wood in our life. And we don't move forward. And some de- uh, to some degree, we do both. We operate from either truth or grace. Sometimes we yell, cut it down. Other times we yell out, ignore it. Just deny the existence of it. We tell ourselves, well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. I'm more disciplined than them. And we justify ourselves by those comparisons. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Uh, but when we approach it from either grace or truth, we miss the fruit that God has for us. Now, you've got to understand about the kingdom. It says of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus, he was full of grace and full of truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. See, those two things go together in the kingdom. In our mind and in the way we live, sometimes they're mutually exclusive. They don't go together. But in the kingdom, these things go together. And somehow, we're gonna bring grace and truth together. Could that be the answer? to living a more disciplined life. Uh, listen to the great apostles, uh, Apostle Paul's frustration. Uh, the frustration he had with himself, not with the church, but with himself. Now, now this is a guy who went into the third heaven. Uh, this is the guy who wrote a lot of scripture. The, this is a guy who's a hero to many of us. Now listen, I want you to listen to the frustration that he had with himself. And I want you to see if you can relate. Let's go, Romans chapter 7, verse 15. It says, I don't really understand myself. How many relate to that? 
right there, first line. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Relate. I do what I hate. Relate. At least some, uh, verse 18, it says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Come on, anybody relating right now? Any uh, feeling at ease? Yeah, if the Apostle Paul here to navigate his way through this, you and I will. Uh, verse 24, he gets dark. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. <laughs> Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who's gonna free me? I'm lost, it's hopeless. But the answer is found in verse 25. Thank God. Thank God. The answer, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on, what's the answer to your ill-discipline? What's the answer to you doing what you know you shouldn't do and, and hating yourself? The answer, what is it? It is, oh, come on, that's not convincing this morning. Some of you don't know. The answer, it's on the board. It was on the board before. We gave you the answer. It's not multi-choice. We gave it to you. The answer is, He's the answer. He's the answer to your lack of fruit. Because in Him, He's full of grace and He's full of truth. See, see, on our own, we're prone to making dumb decisions, wrong choices. You know how many struggle with discipline? Yeah, I lift my hand. You know, so many people look at different ones and go, oh, you're just naturally disciplined. No, I've found there's nobody on the earth who's naturally disciplined. You know, oh, it's just a certain personality type. No, it's not a personality type. Uh, laziness is not a personality type. Yeah, and, and fruitlessness, which we all want to bear fruit, but fruitlessness is, is simply a lack of discipline. Uh, we all want the results of discipline. We all want the results, but we don't understand it. In fact, a disciple, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a disciplined person. Because that's where the word disciple and discipline overlap. They're the, the, the connected. You are a disciplined person. You are a disciplined person. I, do, I want that to sink in. You are a disciplined person because you've got the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you. Your flesh is weak, but you can walk according to the spirit and you can be strong. You can make decisions that other people struggle in. See, see, what is discipline? One person once said, discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Discipline is choosing between what you want now, here and now, and what you want most. What you want most. In fact, in this book, uh, Who You Are When No One's Looking, you can buy them in the foyer afterwards. 
choosing consistency, resisting compromise, Bill Hybels says discipline is delayed gratification. It's delayed gratification. Now, now I like carrot cake. And I especially love the icing of carrot cake. How many are with me right there? That cream cheese icing is from heaven. It's from God. From, uh, from God. Now, it's often, you know, these days you get cakes that are large and you can't get your, your whole mouth around the cake. Some of you can, but I can't. And, 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 and it's like, where do I start? Do I start on the icing side and work down to the body of the cake or do I start at the body and then, you know, leave the icing to last? It's like, I can't, ah, can't quite get it over. Well, delayed gratification would say, if I like the icing, I leave the icing to to last, because the overall satisfaction is gonna be a whole lot better. If I'm just left with a, the body of a cake, especially if it's dry, ah, ah, and ah, yeah. It's like, ah, I can't get it out from in between my teeth, it's, ah, ah, ah. That, that taste is not that great. Simple illustration, come on, anybody like meat out there? Meat, yeah, anybody not a big fan of veggies? Veggie, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's like if you like meat, sorry all you vegetarians, but if you like meat, you leave the meat, the steak to last. You do the hard job first. You need vegetables, you do the hard job. That which is difficult first, and you leave the hard, uh, you leave the, the good part to the end. What happens? Your overall satisfaction improves, improves. Discipline, it's a choice between what you want now, I want the icy now, and what you want most. You know, a discipline is picking your pain. It's picking your pain. In the end, pain is inevitable. Just get that settled. Pain in life is inevitable. And you've got to pick your pain. The pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The pain of discipline, the pain of change, or the pain of regret. Now, you don't want to get to the end of your life and go, well, I, I just wish I spent more time with my kids. Talk about regret. Yeah, I, I just wish I'd forgiven them and we had had that relationship. I missed out because I held that grudge. You don't want to get to the end of your life and go, I, I should have taken better care of myself, but now it's too late. Talk about regret. You know, I, I never planned to end up here. So many people would give their whole life for another chance. Some people say, I, I wish I never started. I, I had no idea at the time how it would ruin my life. Uh, the pain of regret is real. You gotta pick your pain, the pain of change or the pain of regret. Uh, what do you want most? Uh, what do you want most? Uh, someone said, a million bucks, so that's what I want most. Uh, we're in the series saying, hey, hey, if you're looking for something on the outside to satisfy something on the inside, you're deceiving yourself. 
Because that's not how the kingdom works. That's not how God works. You've got to get God in His rightful place. What do you want most? I pray is to be closer with God. Come on, how many want to be closer with God? Because when you're closer with God, it's there you're going to have a stronger marriage. It's there you're going to be a better parent. It's there you're going to be a better employee. You're going to handle your finances better because God is all the time going to be whispering in your ear, giving you wisdom, giving you counsel. Counsel how to get rid of that credit card debt. The question I want to ask is, What do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? Uh, What decisions here in this moment do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? Because many of us, we think it's just going to happen. It's just going to take place. But I found that it takes time. It takes time. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he said, if you explain these things to brothers and sisters, that's what I'm doing today, he says to Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. So that's why I'm reading this scripture, because I want to be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus. Because <laughs> that's what he said, if you explain them, that's what you're going to be. And he said, a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith, and the good teaching you have followed. Listen to this. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. All those on Facebook, come on, don't argue. You know, over all these things on godless ideas, you know, things that aren't gonna really change things. Don't waste time doing that. Instead, train yourself. Somebody say, train yourself. Content to your neighbor, look them in the eye and say, train yourself. Train yourself. Instead, what? Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good. All those going to the gym, yeah, good. That's good. But training for godliness is much better. It's much better. Much better. Yeah, I imagine if you spend the amount of time you spend at the gym working on your godliness. For some of you, you'll be backslidden because you don't spend any time at the gym. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, but imagine if we trained ourselves like that. Like training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying. In other words, you can go to the bank on this. This will pay dividends in your life if you believe it. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. So don't block your ears right now. Everyone, you need to accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Uh, remember, what are we working on in this Inside Out series? We're working on the inner man. And our greatest enemy is not what's on the outside. Our greatest enemy is the enemy. It, it's the enemy. It's who I am when no one's looking. 
who I am when no one's looking. See, see, what you do in the dark will be revealed in the light. Many people said, life is the sum of our choices. It's the sum of our decisions. In a lot of ways, we are where we are because of the decisions we've made. You know, and what we've got to understand, it's the things nobody sees that results in the stuff that everyone wants. Everybody wants some stuff, but they don't understand the background story. They watch the highlights reel. Uh, they don't go behind the scenes. And I challenge to say, anybody who's bearing good fruit in life have, has a background story. You, know, you need to go into all those extra parts and, and look at the behind the scenes footage because that's the reason why they are bearing fruit. It's not in the seen, but it's in the unseen that we bear fruit. It's like kingdom seed. Kingdom is like a seed that's planted. Planted. How many know it takes time for a seed to sprout up? Uh, what you do with a seed, Alistair, you put it in, you bury it. And then what do you do? You wait. What are, most of us do is we get impatient and we dig up what God's planted. God, some of you, you're in church and you go, oh, I don't know if I'm seeing any benefit from this. Where's the fruit? And you're thinking of making a dumb decision and not being as regular in church. No, you need to put that seed down. You need to bury it. And, and what do you need to do is you need to keep on watering it. Uh, but we're like those little kids who get that, those little planter boxes and we're digging it up all the time. Oh, has it grown? No, it hasn't grown. And then we put it back in. No, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone for a period of time. I don't know about you, but it's easy to lose patience. You know, I've started a new regime. I went to the gym three times this week. Oh, yeah. And I still don't have abs. Where are my abs? I thought after three times, I would have them. In Jesus' name. I prayed too. How many know just like physical growth, spiritual growth, it takes time. It's not an instant fix. I prayed nothing happened. No, it, it takes time. Though I know the fig tree hadn't seen fruit for three years. In fact, I was talking to Dave. Um, and he owns a business with a whole lot of builders and brings on young apprentices all the time. He, he was telling me after years in the business, he says, well, you don't really begin to see the fruit of your investment until three years. You know, I often say to Bible college students, you know, when they come in, because many of them think, well, oh, I'm in Bible college now. Uh, next week we'll change the world. <laughs> yeah, I often say it normally takes about 10 years <laughs> to see the fruit of what you're depositing in your life. You know, it, it, it takes time, but we buy into the illusion. We buy into the get-rich-quick schemes. We buy into all these things. But the Bible says in Proverbs that an inheritance gained quickly will not be blessed in the end. It, it will not be blessed, but the world sells us this. 
It sells us this, and, and we end up frustrated. No fruit after this, all this time? Now, let's look at what he said. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone. I, I like this advice here. He said, leave it alone. Some of us right now, if we've got good disciplines of Bible reading, coming to church, what do we need to do? We just need to leave it alone. We just need to leave it alone. Let, leave it just for this year. I really believe this year, and I want to prophesy it as a year of breakthrough. And, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Uh, some of you right now are in danger of cutting some stuff down and cutting some stuff off because you haven't seen fruit. But I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, don't cut it down. Leave it alone. But what I want you to do is I want you to dig around it and I want you to fertilize it. I want you to dig around it and I want you to fertilize it. I, I want you to dig out the weeds. I want you to dig out the hurts. I want you to dig out those things that will get your soul to be cluttered. Come on, I want you to dig out the sin that you've excused for a long time. I want you to dig that out. I want you to dig out the disappointment. Come on, get a trail. And I want you to get in there. And I want you to dig out those things, that disappointment that will seek to, uh, would tempt you to isolate yourself. I want you to dig that out. And what do I want you to do? I want you to fertilize it. Fertilize it with love. Fertilize it with fellowship. Fertilize it with daily devotion in the Word. Train yourself. Fertilize it with obedience. Uh, fertilize it with the eternal perspective. Could it be we're not seeing the fruit in our life simply because we haven't dug around our lives? We haven't brought truth to our life. And we haven't fertilized it with grace. Uh, what do we need? We, we need truth and grace. Uh, we need to dig around and we need to fertilize. Not just dig around, we need to fertilize it as well. Uh, what I've found is it takes time for the fertilizer to take effect. And you've got to make sure you're using the right stuff. Uh, digging around it, as we talked about last week, is, is, is about courage. It, it's being truthful with where you're at. In fact, courage, we discovered last week, is a heart language. It's a heart word. Courage is from the heart. It's your heart rage. And courage, in its earliest definition, can be defined as the story of who you are, telling the story of who you are with your whole heart. Last week, we talked about how shame and guilt causes us to go into hiding. And, and what we do is we project these images that are not our real self. But courage is owning who you really are. It's owning your mistakes. It's owning your sin. It, it takes courage to be a Christian because you can't live in denial any longer. 
You're going to say, this is me. I need help. That's courageous. One of the greatest lies in this society today is we're self-sufficient. No, we're not. We need one another. Now, I'm not going to preach that message again, but we need to bring truth and dig around it, and we need fertilize it. We need to apply God's grace. But here's the thing. It's not just grace and truth. What needs to be applied is time. It takes time. It takes time. See, I don't want to preach something on Sunday that doesn't work on Monday. I I don't want to sell you something today to get you all hyped up and then it's like a puff of hot air when it comes to you. It it takes time. How long are you in this for? Because if you're given a trial for six months, you're not going to see. It, it takes time. See, we, we, we often go truth. Truth without grace is legalism. And it causes people to go into hiding and shame. And that's what, what happens. Legalistic, I don't want to preach a legalistic message. You need to be more disciplined this morning. You know? That causes people to go in hiding. Oh, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm not. But, but grace, if it's just grace without truth, it gives license to remain where we are. It, it gives license to stay in the same. Now, on the inside of us, none of us want to be the same as we are today. We want to move forward. That's why we're going to apply grace and truth. Now, just to close with, finish off, I want to show you something about time. If we could have the musicians up. And how time relates to discipline. Uh, uh, discipline has is, is got to be one of the most important character qualities we can possess. That's why Proverbs says, cling to discipline. Cling to it. Don't relax your grip. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to cling to discipline and not let it lose its grip. It says, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. In other words, there's big implications for not being disciplined. Uh, Don't disregard this. It leads to poverty and shame. Don't let things slide. Come on, don't let your devotion slide. Don't let your your commitment to getting together with other believers slide. It it requires a now response. See, if you don't do something now about what you want most, you're likely to end up in a place of regret. Stop procrastinating. Stop saying, I'm going to get around to it. I've got time. No, you don't. Now. Now. There's a now moment. See, see time is not just an act of God's grace giving us space. God is too loving to allow us to continue in sin for one moment longer than it's necessary. Oh, I just got time to figure this out. No, God says there's a now. You can be set free now. Time is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And I'll quickly want to take you back to something. Uh, Henry Cloud, a great man, a psychologist, he, he, he pointed out. Let's go back to the Adam and Eve, to A&E, who were there, accident and emergency waiting to happen. <laughs> the first couple. Now, now uh, we know the story. They existed in eternity with God. 
there, there was no such thing as evil. At least they didn't know what it was. It was all good. All good. Everything was all good. Yeah, how many know that's a response from many people? Oh, it's all good, but it's not. It really was all good. All good. Now, now we know God put in the middle of the garden two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat of that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the fruit of it is poisonous and it will kill you. Now, notice he didn't say, I will kill you. He said, no, the fruit of it's poisonous. God gave them a choice. Because how many know you can't be free to worship if you're free not to worship. That's why choice is important. I can't go into, in depth into that, but God gave us a choice. And A and E, they didn't listen. We know the story. And as a result of the fall, it was no longer all good. It was no longer all good. It says they knew, they knew evil. Now that word knew is the same word that's used for Adam knew, knew Eve. You know, in other words, it has a sexual connotation. They knew, they fully knew. Now, it meant they knew something that God was trying to protect them from. He knew it would bring hurt. He knew it would bring pain. He knew it would bring the frustration. Now, just imagine for a moment, God created the perfect place with perfect people to live in eternity. And then all of a sudden, evil arrives on the scene. Evil arrives. What did God do? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, just to land this. Genesis 3, verse 22. And it says, And the and the Lord God said, the man now become like, uh, has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, now what was the tree that they ate of that caused the fall? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now he's saying they can't eat from the tree of life and eat because they'll live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which they had been taken. And he drove out the man out and he placed, uh, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, in other words, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What did God do? God moved immediately to protect you and I, man, from being in a place of eternal isolation, eternal pain. That's what God did, eternal pain. Now, eternity is a long time if you haven't worked out. And so what God did is He drove A and E out of eternity. And He guarded eternity with an angel with a flashing sword waving to and fro. And what he did is he sent man into what is called redemptive time. Redemptive time. He did that so he could fix the problem because they knew evil. He did that so he could undo the effects of the fall. He did that 
to redeem creation and bring humankind back into eternity. Because if they ate of the tree, they would live in eternal separation, eternal isolation, eternal pain. So He created redemptive time so He could fix the problem. What an awesome plan! And He gave us a clue how He would accomplish it. In Genesis, He says the woman's offspring would eventually crush the serpent's head. That promise was fulfilled through Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews calls it a great salvation. This great salvation. You know, philosophers for centuries have debated the nature of time. But redemptive time, redemptive time is like an incubator that exists for the purpose of redemption. It's it's a place where God can lovingly fix what is wrong. It's a place where evil temporarily exists while God does His work in us, where He disciples us, conforms us, changes us into His image. Come on, I want you to think of it another way. God has a sick creation. Creation's sick. He needs to do surgery. And so thus, He places us on the operating table of redemptive time. And into our veins, He pumps life-giving blood of grace and of truth. Because it's only grace and truth melded together, working together, that can bring change to your life. See, grace is all about acceptance, but truth is all about direction. You've got to understand, God doesn't just accept you. He accepts you, and He loves you the way you are. But He brings truth to our life and He gives us direction because He loves us too much to leave us this way. He says, I want to bring hope and I want to bring a future. Come on, you can clap your hands louder than that. Come on, we serve a good God. Here's the problem. We don't know how long the surgery will last. And not only are we expected to participate in the surgery, We don't get to be anesthetized. We're awake the whole time. That's why you're gonna pick your pain. But that's the way God grows us. It's there we bring bear forth fruit. And Paul says, come on, we need to make the most of our time. Time time. You need to make the most. Hey, uh, quickly, a few scriptures, Ephesians 5, 15 to then. Be careful then how you live. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most. Everyone say making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't waste your time on things that are not going to build into your inner person. Build your inner person. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade. That gold medal won't last. Come on, that business deal will soon drift off into the distance. You may discipline yourself, but they do it for that. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run, listen to Paul, I run with purpose in every step. I'm saying, in your week, run with purpose in every step. 
I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Come on, I want everybody to say, I am disciplined. Come on, you are disciplined. You are disciplined. Christ in you is stronger than the wrong desire in you. I'll say that again. Christ in you is stronger than the wrong desire in you. Christ in you is stronger than that temptation. It's stronger than that desire for chocolate cake at 10 o'clock at night. It's stronger. Christ in you is stronger than the wrong desire in you. I am disciplined. And just quickly to finish with, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12 because I believe this says what discipline is. Jesus modeled it. He demonstrated it. Verse one, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. In other words, it takes time. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Not on that new car, not on that new job, not on that girlfriend that you wanna have. No, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Here it is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand, uh, right hand of the throne of God. What, what was it? For the joy. What enabled Jesus to endure the cross? The joy. I've seen you and I in relationship with Him. That's the key, discipline. If you don't have vision, you'll struggle to be disciplined. We're gonna talk about this next week. For the joy, for the joy. Dying on a cross is painful. Never experienced it, but I watched the passion. And even that put a grimace on my face. Oh man. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He didn't want to do it. Talk about doing the hard thing first. Talk about eating your vegetables first. He did it. He endured it. He didn't want to. He said, not my will, but your will be done. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Despised the shame. And he did it because he saw you and I here in 2017 in the town hall, living, connected to Jesus, bearing fruit that he can only produce in our life. Come on right now, you've got to understand. He did it. And he enables us to follow him. And to walk with Him, God's got great things for you. But it's going to take time. And you need to endure if you just see that fruit reproduced in your life. I'm done. I really believe some of you come here wanting to cut some things out, cut some things out. You've been cutting yourself down for too long. But I want to say dig around it, fertilize it, 
and just give it another year. This is how we